Chapter 3 How to Recognize the Voice of God Given our basic nature, we live, really live, only through God's regular speaking in our souls. And thus, quote, by every word that comes from the mouth of God, end of quote. Dallas Willard. When I was 17, while at a church youth group party in someone's orange, shag-carpeted family room, I felt a quiet urging to pray for my brother Peter. It first came as a spontaneous thought, similar to other random notions that dart through my brain. Did I forget my mom's birthday? Or... I wonder who put on too much aftershave. Three short words, pray for Pete, flitted into my mind and raced out again just as quickly. Soon I wondered if cute Laura Matheson would show up at the party and I could steal some time with her alone. Moments later, the sense came back, this time with a touch of urgency. Maybe something is wrong with Pete, beyond all the things I already knew were wrong with my older brother. I dashed off a quick prayer for his safety and then rushed back to look for Laura. But the impression not only continued, it began to strengthen, and soon I felt a pressure that I couldn't shake. It felt a little weird amidst the laughter of kids playing Twister, so I crept down the basement stairs to pray a bit more purposefully. As I prayed for my brother, I started weeping. Crying at a high school party was even weirder than praying, and I was glad to be hidden in the basement. Tears boiled down my cheeks. I shook and even sobbed the tiniest bit, though I tried to stifle it. Spirituality has its limits in a high school boy. It's not writing on the wall. False expectations inflict more pain in our lives than many of the fiery ordeals we face. When we anticipate some future blessing, its failure to materialize creates disappointment, even despair. Young married couples are told that their honeymoon won't last, yet they naively think their marriage will be different. Then comes their first fight, or worse, their first boring night, and there they sit, shell-shocked. Our naive expectations lead us to miss richer realities. My married life is better than my honeymoon, but it took bumps and bruises, fights, and boring nights to get it that way. Honeymooners think this is the best it can get, but they are wrong, and they inevitably experience disappointment. In a similar fashion, false expectations about hearing God cause us to overlook the many ways he actually does speak to us. We miss his voice because it lacks the drama we expect. It's not writing on the palace wall. We imagine Moses on Mount Sinai or Isaiah's vision in the temple or Daniel's dreams of spectacular creatures, and we think, that's what I'm talking about. But it's not what God is talking about. Besides, the message of the handwriting on the wall was basically, King Belshazzar, you are going to die tonight. If your expectation for hearing God is writing on the wall, maybe a little disappointment is a good thing. If you expect nothing, you will hear nothing. The other false expectation about hearing God is probably our most common expectation. 
silence. We expect to hear nothing from God. Many of us expect silence because silence has been our lifelong experience. We've heard stories of other people who hear God, but it's never happened to us. The years of nothingness have nourished expectations, cynical expectations, that God doesn't speak to us. Maybe something's wrong with us. Maybe God is busy elsewhere. Or maybe it just doesn't happen anymore. And that's the second most common reason for expecting silence from God, the belief that it just doesn't happen anymore. It's over was the common belief a friend of mine encountered when he was on a denominational committee to write a position paper on hearing God. To begin with, the committee unanimously agreed that we can hear God in Scripture. But beyond that, there was a wide range of opinions, mostly negative, when it came to any word from God outside of the Bible. Story after story was told of kooky messages. God told me that the church should make me its choir director. And God said he's returning on a UFO. One pastor shared that when he was a student, three different women told him that God wanted him to marry them. The committee's concerns were reinforced when one man pointed out that most cults are created by prophets who claim that they are the next Messiah, or at least his right-hand man. But during a coffee break, one of the pastors mentioned that he once felt God speak to him during one of his sermons. He sensed God telling him that a prisoner in a state penitentiary was listening. So the preacher began to preach primarily to that prisoner who he saw in his mind's eye. He tailored his words just in case his sense was true. And it was true. A week later, the pastor received a letter from a prisoner who had listened to the radio address and given his life to the Lord. After that pastor shared his story, other pastors shared similar little nudges. One sensed he should pull his car over to the side of the road, and he was spared involvement in a major multi-car accident half a mile further down the road. Another heard an answer for a sensitive issue in the congregation, and another shared about hearing God for a parishioner. The casual conversation during their coffee break completely changed the tenor of the position paper. I think they heard God in each other. It's not silent, but it's still. God did a great miracle through the Old Testament prophet Elijah when he burned the sacrifice with its altar. But the miracle didn't bring the revival Elijah hoped for. Despondent, he headed for the desert mountain of God, where he camped in a cave, hoping to hear something from God. God passed by, and there was a tremendous windstorm, then a mountain-rocking earthquake, and finally a horrific fire. But God's voice was in none of these marvels. Only when the drama ended did God finally speak. Quote, After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. End of quote. And as Elijah stood at the cave's entrance, quote, a voice spoke to him. End of quote. We expect God's voice to be found in stunning, breathtaking, cinematic sound effects. But it normally comes as a gentle whisper. 
I think God prefers a still small voice because we are so easily distracted by the spectacular. It's so easy to go from one emotional high to the next, but God wants relationship. Sometimes he speaks in stunning ways, but mostly his voice seems quite ordinary, just a nudge or a sense, an idea that persists, an urging on a boring evening, a whisper. When the boy Samuel first heard the voice of God, it seemed so ordinary that Samuel failed to recognize its source. He thought it was his master calling. The voice was accompanied by neither brilliant lights nor booming thunder. It was quiet, barely a whisper. It seemed so normal. My wife and I went to Italy for our 30th anniversary, and it was great fun. But we've only had one 30th anniversary. Most of our relationship has been spent sitting in our living room, talking about her classes, my writing, our grandchildren, whose turn it is to take out the trash. The bedrock of our marriage is the quiet times in easy chairs. Anniversaries are the anomaly. More than thunderous voices or burning bushes, we need to hear God's whispers. His voice goes unnoticed. Quote, God speaks time and time again, but nobody notices, end of quote. Job thirty-three fourteen. We miss God's still small voice because it is eclipsed amidst the explosions of other sounds. Every hour of every day, voices fill our heads, fears obsess our hearts, and urgent requests shout their demands. The cacophony of sounds like an orchestra tuning obscures his still small voice. Stomachs growl their hunger, bosses bark their orders, and insults from 20 years ago still scream their condemnation. Our hearts are besieged by demands, desires, commands, and fires. In the midst of all that noise, God also speaks to us. But his voice is of a different quality. Charles Stanley wrote, God's voice is still and quiet and easily buried under an avalanche of clamor. Someone else said, the self-appointed spokesmen for God are inclined to shout. He himself speaks only in whispers. Why doesn't God shout? Why no burning bushes writing on the wall or opened heaven's proclamations? I don't know for sure, but I have an idea. Unlike the other voices we hear which shout, bully, and badger, God wants to woo us rather than coerce us. When Jesus looked upon rebellious Jerusalem, he didn't shout, death to the infidel. Instead, he wept. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? The voice of God most often sounds invitational. Worldly gods shout, badger, bully, and bludgeon. But Jesus didn't come riding on a war horse, though everyone, everyone wanted him to. He came quietly to uncouth fishermen and unsophisticated villagers. He spoke tenderly to a marginalized woman with a chronic blood flow, while leaving the prestigious male leader to wait his turn. 
Do we really want to dictate speaking terms to a God like this? Our false expectations of the spectacular will mislead us, and we will miss God's whispers. Maybe his way is better. Learn to distinguish God's voice from others. The problem isn't that God is silent. It's that we don't recognize his voice. He's speaking, but the clamor of distracting sounds confuses us. We need to recognize the voice that is always speaking. When I wept alone in that basement many years ago, I heard a gentle, quiet voice. Yet soft though it was, it was also compelling. It stirred my heart to pray. Was that voice just my imagination? I found out the next morning when I finally talked to my brother. He had been in the middle of a difficult discussion about a life-changing decision. At exactly the time I prayed, he sensed God's presence, that God was with him, and he had no reason to fear, and that with God there is no plan B. Oswald Chambers wrote, The voice of the Spirit of God is as gentle as a summer breeze. The sense of warning and restraint that the Spirit gives comes to us in the most amazingly gentle ways. And if you are not sensitive enough to detect his voice, you will quench it, and your spiritual life will be impaired. The voice of God is a quiet compelling, a still yet strong voice, a burning in our heart, and a quickening of our spirits. God compels but doesn't coerce. He speaks but doesn't overwhelm. We simply need to recognize his voice in the manner that he shares it. E. Stanley Jones said, The voice of the subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you, but the inner voice of God does not argue, does not try to convince you. It just speaks, and it is self-authenticating. It has the feel of the voice of God within it. Over time, we easily identify other voices in our hearts. The voice of fear creates an insistent fixation. The voice of condemnation undermines hope, and the voice of hunger drives us to the fridge. As Philip Yancey explained, I cannot control the voice of God or how it comes. I can only control my ears, my readiness to listen, and quickness to respond. Over time, as we sense the voice of God authenticating itself, we find it also drives us to God. How do physical beings hear spiritual words? We are physical creatures and we think of communication in physical terms. Your friend's vocal cords form the words, I will stand with you through this difficult time. The air compresses and releases in sound waves and our eardrums pulsate in response and our mind translates those vibrations into meaningful words. Or you explain to your wife why you forgot to take the trash out for the third time this month. Light bounces off her rolling eyes, enters through the lens of your own eyes, and tickles the retina. Nerves in the retina send the image upside down to your brain, and your mind writes the image and recognizes that your excuse isn't working. And your mind instantly formulates another craftier defense. As physical creatures, we expect 
physical communication. Handwriting on the wall, parting of the clouds, a booming voice, or raised braille letters interpreted through trained fingertips. But we are also spiritual creatures, and the meeting place of our physical and spiritual natures is our mind. God communicates to us through words in our minds, just as sounds from a friend pass through eardrums to our understanding, and just as images pass through our retinas and enter our imagination, so too the Spirit of God enters His words into our minds. It is there in our minds that we hear God. Unless, of course, you have a talking donkey. That works too. Dallas Willard wrote that we, quote, must not obscure the simple fact that God comes to us precisely in and through our thoughts, perceptions, and experiences, and that he can approach our conscious life only through them, for they are the substance of our lives. When God speaks, he puts his words in our minds, and our spirits resonate in recognition with a quickening. Or burning. Perhaps the best reason to learn to hear God, to distinguish His voice in our minds, is because other voices enter as well. Satan murmurs his temptations. The world is always knocking at its door. And our flesh informs us that happiness will elude us if we don't install granite countertops. God's voice is different, though mostly still and small. It also has a glorious nature, and in it, we recognize God. William Guthrie, a 17th century Puritan, wrote, It is no audible voice, but it is a ray of glory filling the soul with God, as he is life, light, love, and liberty, corresponding to that audible voice spoken to Daniel, quote, O man, you are greatly beloved, end of that quote. It is that voice which went from Christ to Mary when he mentioned her name, Mary. There was some admirable divine conveyance and manifestation that came into her heart by which she was satisfyingly filled that there was no place for arguing and disputing whether or not that it was Christ, end of quote. Mary had seen the gardener. She had even heard him ask a question, but when he said Mary, she instantly recognized God. As with Mary, when God's voice enters our mind through words and from there proceeds into our hearts, there is no place for arguing or disputing. We recognize God. It just takes time and practice. Act on what you hear. We see God mostly during times of crisis. I need your guidance now. But until we have learned to hear his quiet voice in the humdrum of life, what chance do we have of distinguishing it in the maelstrom of crisis? Let's learn to sail our boats in a gentle breeze before raising our sails in a hurricane. A year before God asked me to pray for my brother, he spoke to me at school. Just before third period, I experienced the tiniest sense. It was actually just an image accompanied by a sense of importance. 
The God wanted me to go to a specific stairwell between the fifth and sixth floors. The message was so specific that it unsettled me, and I suspected it was simply my subconscious. But I was in a season of learning to hear. And a month earlier, I had read that obedience is a major stepping stone in learning to hear God. So I decided to obey this weirdly detailed word. So I skipped class, don't tell my mom, and went to that obscure stairwell. A fellow student whom I'd never seen before was standing there, and we began to talk. He told me he was contemplating suicide, jumping out the fifth floor window at that very moment. He talked more, and I mostly listened. In the end, I said something I no longer remember, asked if I could pray for him, and then we left together. I never saw him again, but neither did I later read of a student suicide shaking the school. Growth in hearing God comes from practice and obedience. Obedience comes first, but it's practice and obedience. When we are faithful in little things, God gives us bigger things. So we act on the words we hear. Sometimes we'll find their source was nothing more than a poorly digested potato. But other times we'll discover it was a nudge from God. How do we know? We act on what we've heard. Then afterward, with a friend or alone with God, we reflect back on that word and our response, examining the method, manner, and tonal quality of the sense. And we therefore learn to distinguish the voice of God from the voices of sleep deprivation, stress, or fleshly desires. Note, we need to obey, but we also need wisdom. Sometimes the word we sense is nothing more than a stray thought or the voice of the world or our own wishes. My simple rule is this. If the obedience required is simple and moral, like going to a stairwell or praying for a brother, just do it. If the action is more involved, sell all your possessions and move to Newark, New Jersey, then ask friends for help with discernment because it isn't always God's voice, and we need help learning to distinguish the true from the false. Either way, take time to reflect and learn to recognize the sound of God's voice. The more we practice, the better we get at distinguishing God's voice from the clatter of sounds that shout at our heart all day long. The person who listens to God and responds positively will hear more and more from God. This is not because God is speaking more to that person, but because he or she has developed the ability to hear what God is saying. God is always speaking, always. And learning to hear him and recognize his voice is a skill we all can develop.